Welcome to Do We Know Things, a podcast where we examine things we think we know about sex. Content warning. This podcast will include discussions about genetics, relationships, and a little bit about infidelity. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, professor of psychology and sex educator. Today on Do We Know Things, can taking birth control make you choose the wrong partner? Remember 2008? It's a while ago now. Obama versus McCain, the global financial crisis, Twilight, Batman, Brangelina, and a strange study about birth control that blew up in the media. You may not remember, but it was a big deal. To jog your memory, according to the headlines, the hormonal changes from being on the birth control pill could make you choose a partner that was biologically wrong for you. I remember this message being all over the internet and magazines, like Cosmo, Vice, and even Scientific American. It's also a fave talking point on talk shows, even as recent as 2020. Your birth control may have something to do with the type of man you choose. Do tell, ladies. Taking birth control may be affecting how women perceive men's level of attractiveness. Women on the pill seek out mates whom they would normally not find as attractive. Women who were not contracepting chose men who were at the top of the evolutionary ladder, while the women who were contracepting chose men at the lower rungs of the evolutionary ladder. When I first learned about this study, I remember racking my brain trying to figure out if I had been on the pill when I met my partner eight years earlier. From only reading the media articles, I was concerned that I might have made the, quote, wrong choice. At the time, I was a graduate student studying sexuality and hormones. I should have known better than to rely on headlines and media buzz. But I did, and I never actually looked into the research on this topic. Recently, a listener asked me about whether the pill can affect your choice in a partner. I hadn't thought about this probably since that original media frenzy in 2008, and I figured it was high time to find out if this is fact or fiction. On this episode, I'll delve into the research on genetic compatibility, hormonal changes on the pill, whether or not any of this matters when choosing a partner, and how smelly t-shirts factor in. That's coming up on Do We Know Things. But first... To understand the answer to the question, does going on the pill alter your choice of partner, we first need to delve into the biology basics. The research on choosing a biologically compatible partner focuses on something called the Major Histocompatibility Complex, or MHC. This is involved in the immune responses in animals, including humans. In human studies, researchers tend to look at a component of the MHC called human leukocyte antigen genes, or HLA. For ease of reference here, I'm just going to use MHC. The MHC genes are highly polymorphic, which means there are many different versions of them in the population. There are several theories about why these genes are so highly polymorphic, but today we're going to focus on the sexual selection theory. 
This theory, in relation to MHC, states that offspring whose parents have dissimilar MHC genes will have more robust adaptive immune systems that can better respond to and survive pathogens, resulting in longer-living, healthier organisms. So it would be adaptive for species to be able to identify potential mates with dissimilar MHCs. Since all we talk about in COVID times is immunity, it seems particularly relevant. Like, who wouldn't want offspring whose immune systems could better ward off infection? The majority of the data in support of the importance of dissimilar MHC genes and mating comes from mice. I did not dig through that research because I'm focused on a specific question about humans, but I'm going to go on the assumption that there is evidence for mice and other species selecting mates based on MHC. It's believed that animals can detect compatibility in MHC via scent. So potential mates that are genetically compatible will smell better to the animal choosing a mate. Okay, so what is the evidence for this in humans? Well... It's shaky. There has been a fair number of studies about this topic using human subjects, but the results are really mixed with no clear understanding of how or if MHC compatibility factors in for human partner choice. In small communities where there's high inbreeding, the ability to detect genetic similarity would be beneficial. Given that humans likely evolved in small communities, it would make sense that the ability to detect genetic similarity would have been evolutionarily advantageous. There have been a couple of studies of MHC in Anabaptist communities, such as the Hutterites, Mennonites, and Amish people in North America. These tend to be closed communities who are ethnically very similar and who are more likely to have inbreeding. For example... There was a study of colonies of South Dakota Hutterites whose genetic lineage was known since the 1700s, and they also showed a relatively high degree of relatedness within the colonies. Researchers found that married Hutterites were less than statistically expected to choose someone with the same MHC genes. Essentially, that means they were more likely to choose someone with dissimilar genes, which supports this theory. However, these studies on closed, specific communities may not be generalizable to other populations. Another study that gets cited all the time is one from a genome-wide association study database. I thought this sounded promising, since it's described as an international database. I thought it must have larger, more generalizable samples than the Hutterite studies. It turns out that this international database, called the HapMap2 database, is actually based on 30 Mormon couples of European descent living in Utah and 30 Yoruba couples of African descent living in Nigeria. So two small samples that just happen to be from different places. Like, yes, technically this is an international study, but it's certainly not large or diverse enough to answer the question of MHC and partner choice, yet it gets cited all the time. Even more alarming, as I started to dig into this research, this study is often cited as showing a difference between people of European descent and African descent, saying that people of European descent are more likely to choose mates with dissimilar MHC, while people of African descent do not. Since the research in this area is usually arguing that dissimilar MHC is superior, 
it can then potentially be inferred that Europeans are superior to Africans in this regard. So we can see the scientific racism showing up. In the original paper, it's clearly stated that the African sample had more MHC diversity to begin with compared to the European-American sample. So even if there was a difference in mate choice between Europeans and Africans, it's because this difference is more needed in Europeans. Also, we can't generalize to all of Europe and all of Africa based on the genomes of 60 people from each continent. Neither of these points are ever reiterated in subsequent papers. So as I said, this study gets cited as showing a difference between European and African people. But what the study actually showed was that in both the 30 Mormon couples and the 30 Yoruban couples, the MHC relatedness correlation was not statistically significant. This means there was no relationship between the MHC and mate choice for either group. There was a close-to-significant relationship for the European participants, which constantly gets interpreted as though it was a significant result, but it wasn't. These are just a couple of the studies that have looked at mate choice and MHC, but broadly, there is just not a consensus about whether humans choose mates based on their MHC. The results are very mixed, and most samples are too small to give reliable results. The choice of person you marry and have children with, however, is very complex, and perhaps the social and familial pressures might interfere with basic biology. So the other research question to look at is to get at more of the basic perception to determine whether or not people can detect those whose MHCs are genetically similar or dissimilar. This brings us to the category of studies which are colloquially known as the smelly t-shirt studies. These studies have been used in all kinds of research, to see if men can detect when women are ovulating, to see if women are attracted to different kinds of men when they're ovulating versus not, and whether women can detect men they're attracted to just by smelling them. Here's how it works for the MHC studies. A bunch of men are asked to shower with unscented soap, not to use any scented products or antiperspirants, and then to wear a t-shirt for 12 to 24 hours. They also provide blood samples to be genotyped for MHC. Women, who have also provided blood samples, are then randomly assigned to sniff several different t-shirts and rank which ones smell best to them. Researchers are trying to see if women can smell whether or not men are MHC dissimilar. The first smelly t-shirt study was done on white students from the University of Bern in Switzerland. They gave each woman three MHC-similar shirts and three MHC-dissimilar shirts to smell. And they found that women who were not on the pill ranked the smells of shirts from men with dissimilar MHCs as smelling more pleasant. So the more different they were, the better they smelled to these women. This was the first study to show this. And since this original finding, it's been really hard to sway people from the idea that humans can detect MHC and that they do prefer dissimilar ones, even though the research has been very mixed. Another study was done in a closed Anabaptist community, and researchers had unmarried women from the community smell the shirts of six men from outside of the community. The results showed that the smells women said they liked the best belonged to men who had somewhat similar MHC genes, and the ones they liked the least were the least similar. 
So this totally goes against the idea that people will select those who are most dissimilar. It was argued that because the people from outside the community were of different ethnicities, this might have confounded things. But again, in the real world, we interact with people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, etc. So if we're going to detect similarity and dissimilarity, it should apply regardless of the human that we're sniffing. Similar to the mate choice studies, the other smelly t-shirt studies have also been mixed. So we don't really know if humans can detect MHC compatibility or if they choose partners who are more MHC dissimilar. So already we're in unsure territory. Now let's see what we know about the effects of birth control. We know a lot about the biological effects of the birth control pill. It has been studied heavily for decades. We know less about the psychological effects of the pill, though. And the research that has been done is rarely experimental. To be experimental, we need a researcher to manipulate the groups. So they have to randomly assign someone to a pill or non-pill group and then compare the two groups over time. This is less likely to happen because the risks of doing a randomized, controlled clinical trial on birth control to assess psychological effects is hard to justify. It's also just easier to get funding for physiological things. And drug companies have to demonstrate safety and efficacy of drugs before they go on the market. But there's no real incentive to do psychological research. This results in most studies of psychological effects of the pill, comparing people already on or off the pill, or looking at people who want to get on the pill and assessing them before and during usage. The problem with these kinds of studies is that they're correlational. So we can't say that hormonal contraceptives cause psychological outcomes. There are other variables that could differentiate between someone who is and isn't on the pill or someone who plans to go on the pill versus someone who doesn't. So it's reasonable to say that taking hormonal contraceptives can affect our psychology. Messing with hormones does have psychological effects. When we're talking about the pill, though, the reports of psychological effects seem to vary widely. Some people say they get much more emotional when on the pill. And some say it helps regulate their emotions, particularly during PMS times, because it reduces hormonal fluctuations. There are also different formulations of pills that use different kinds of progestins that also likely have different effects. All of these things need to be taken into account, but they rarely are in these studies. So we have basic MHC studies in humans showing mixed effects, and then the psychological studies of the pill already limited in their quality and methodology. What does this mean for studies that combine these already unclear areas of study? Let's find out. Do the hormones in the pill affect our choice of partner? The first smelly t-shirt study that I already mentioned did find a small effect that women who were on the pill ranked the t-shirts of men with similar MHC genes as more pleasant, which is the opposite of what they saw in women not on the pill. In that study, there were 49 women in total, and it's unclear how small the pill and non-pill groups were. So that's a point that's unclear. The study that really blew up in the media in 2008 was also a smelly t-shirt study. 
Based on the incidental findings about the pill from the original study, the 2008 study wanted to intentionally compare women on and off the pill, and they wanted to compare women before they went on the pill and after they went on the pill. They had an original group of 110 women who were not on the pill. In this original sample, there was no preference for the t-shirts of men with similar or dissimilar MHCs. So, Again, another study that didn't show the finding that women tend to prefer dissimilar MHCs. Everyone was brought back a second time, but at this point, 40 of the women had gone on the pill since that first session. Again, they had everyone smell the t-shirts, and again, for both the pill group and the not-pill group, there was no difference in rankings of smells of men who were similar or dissimilar in their MHCs. The researchers also examined all sorts of other possible hypotheses, including the question of whether certain men with more differentiated MHCs themselves might be more attractive to all women, but that was not the case. The researchers also looked at changes in women who went on the pill, comparing their preferences for similar versus dissimilar people before going on the pill and their preferences after. They didn't find any change. However, when they narrowed it down to only white people from the UK to try to control ethnic variability, they did show that women on the pill seemed to have a slight reduction in their positive rankings for dissimilar MHC shirts. So again, overall, no differences between rankings of similar or dissimilar men, but a slight change within white UK women from before going on the pill to after. This is really a messing around with data until something pops kind of finding that was common in psychology up until about 10 years ago. Since then, people have been publicly calling these practices into question and actively working to stop people from using them. Also, it's clear that there was not a difference for preference for similar or dissimilar MHCs overall for women on and off the pill. But the author himself suggests it in media interviews. He's cautious with his language, but the media really ran with it. Since 2008, there have been a lot of studies on this topic, many of which make broad claims on the negative effects of taking the pill on mate choice. A review study in 2010 claimed there could be consequences for infertility, marital stability, infidelity, and relationship satisfaction if you were on the pill when you chose your partner. Studies have also been done claiming all of these things. Again, the research is not clear. We don't even know if it's beneficial for humans to choose MHC dissimilar mates. So how can we say that the pill negatively affects this choice? To me, it just seems like a house of cards on an even less stable foundation. But let's say it is true that it's better to mate with someone with different MHC genes. What are the risks? Well, kids would have less immune adaptability, possibly. And in Hutterite populations, it has been linked with miscarriage. But these populations are more inbred than most, which is why we study them. Does this matter if you don't plan to have kids? Definitely not. The whole point of the issue slash non-issue is that offspring will be better prepared with immune systems that can ward off pathogens. 
Also, I'd like to point out that while humans are animals, we do have these giant brains and these complex social systems that demonstrate we're not only living based on our biological urges. We can reason and make choices that perhaps go against our evolutionary fitness. We do it all the time. I think this topic highlights something that comes up repeatedly on this podcast— which is that what we see in media, such as magazines, news sites, and other sources, may not include the whole story. Or even when it does, the headlines are often misleading. The person who writes the headline is usually not the person who wrote the article. And the job of the headline writer, especially in the social media world, is to write about something that will get people to click on it. As in, you won't believe this scary new fact about the pill! But often, all people read is the headline. When I first heard about the pill affecting partner choice, it was in the earliest days of Facebook. And I'm pretty sure I mostly just read about it in headlines scrolling by on my feed. Also, back in the day, I subscribed to various media outlets on my Google Reader RSS feed. R.I.P. Google Reader, I miss you. And there I often skimmed the headlines too. One of my favorite examples of the headline trap that I use in one of my classes was a 2016 article about people who stay friends with their exes. On the Esquire website, the headline was, quote, If you're still friends with your ex, chances are you're a psychopath. On the Daily Mail website, the headline was, quote, Friends with your ex, you may be a psychopath. People with dark personality traits are more likely to stay in touch with former lovers. Both of those headlines are not at all what was found in the actual study. In the research article, they asked people to rank 153 reasons they might stay friends with an ex and then group them into seven categories. The most frequently endorsed category of reasons was what they called reliability slash sentimentality, which was basically like, I like this person and want them in my life. The least common reason was for a category called pragmatism, Basically meaning, I still want access to this person for reasons that will benefit me, like money or sex. This one category out of seven possible categories of reasons for staying friends with an ex was correlated with negative personality traits that might be linked with psychopathy. And this study had nothing to do with actually being friends with an ex. They just asked people to think about it hypothetically. So the majority of people said they would be friends with an ex for things like wanting to still be around the person, or having kids, or having shared friend groups. But what the media picked up on was a totally absurd interpretation of the data. An accurate headline would have been something like, If you stay friends with an ex because you want to use them for money or other resources, you may have traits related to psychopathy. Not as catchy. Or even the main finding, a headline could be, Most people say they would want to be friends with an ex because they genuinely like them. Still not very catchy. What I will note, though, is while the headlines were both the same, the content of the articles was dramatically different. In Esquire, they basically just reiterated the headline in the article, but in the Daily Mail, they went into the detail about the actual study and explained it in a much more nuanced way. I guess the takeaway is, don't rely on the headlines. If something sounds intriguing, try to find a reliable media source with more detailed info, 
or look up the article and read at least the abstract to see what the researchers are saying that they found. So, can birth control make you choose the wrong partner? Well, probably not. There are so many more questions we need answers on before we can even address that question. We still don't know if humans tend to choose people with dissimilar MHC genes when they aren't on the pill. Coming to a more definitive answer on that is required before we can figure out if hormonal contraceptives affect our attraction to genetically compatible mates. It's likely that altering hormones can alter some aspects of our emotions and cognition. When we mess with hormones, we're going to change things psychologically and physiologically, but the effects of small hormonal changes are probably minor. More drastic changes, like taking gender-affirming hormones as a trans person or a prostate cancer patient taking androgen-blocking drugs, will probably be more dramatic. If the pill is working for you, there's no need to worry about choosing a partner. But if you are one of the people for whom hormonal birth control does not make you feel good, there are other options, like condoms and copper IUDs that are hormone-free. It's important to find what works for you. But don't let the scary headlines sway you, and always take a closer look at how the study is conducted before you buy in. That's all for this episode. If you have any feedback or peer review of this episode, I'm always excited to hear from you. You can send me a voice memo recorded on your phone or just a written email to doweknowthings at gmail.com. You can find a script for this episode with references and extra info on the website at doweknowthings.com. All music and sounds in this episode by Jeremy Dahl. Check him out at paleblue.ca. Script assistance by Matt Tunnicliffe. I'm Lisa Don Hamilton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at doweknowthings. And of course, you can email me at doweknowthings at gmail.com. Do We Know Things is released every second Monday, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, I would love it if you could subscribe and rate and review to the podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time on Do We Know Things. Do We Know Things.